supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. Turn down the recording volume there because Matt turned up the other volume. All right, I'm gonna, now I'm going to change again. Now your turn. No, darn it, don't really. All right, we are broadcasting live both on the WBSM airwaves and on Fate Radio. So if you're listening at home and you want to see what's going on in the spooky studio just go to spookysouthcoast.com click the little link up in the corner that'll take you to fate radio and you'll be able to see what's going on in the spooky studio while we talk and uh, we are going to have a fascinating show for you tonight it's 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 a totally packed show tonight that's the problem with the halloween season is there's so many things we need to get to so many things that we want to do with the shows and then we have breaking news like we had last week which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. We had uh, the UFO sightings over New York City. Uh, now, if you've seen the clips of them, it didn't take long for people to kind of, with uh, today's technology, to realize that they were nothing more than a bunch of balloons. But what's interesting about that is that uh, a gentleman by the name of Stanley Fulham, who is the author of Challenges of Change, he's a retired NORAD officer who uh, wrote this book about the <clears throat> the aliens and about the UFOs, and... He predicted that on October 16, 2010, the world would be infiltrated uh, where UFOs would come and hover over the major cities of the world. And on the same day, we have this UFO sighting over New York City. So we are going to, uh, we're going to talk with Mr. Fulham about that and about his book and about his experiences and about his knowledge. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really interesting show because he's got some uh, interesting information that even Matt Moniz might not have heard. So we're going to talk with Mr. Fulham coming up in just a few minutes. And then up in the second hour, we are going to speak with our friend Luann Jolie from Wailing City Ghosts about some controversy that erupted this week. But we're going, to, we're going to take a step back and kind of explain how it came about because this is something that's probably going to happen to other people. Uh, and we're going to try to figure out you know, exactly what went wrong here and uh, use this as an example for other groups that get involved with television uh, showing their evidence. And then also we're going to debut... The music of Evie. How come when Matt Costa talks, he's so soft, but when we have him call somebody <laughs> on the air, he's... <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, we're also going to debut the, the world debut of EVP, or the EVPs. We're still trying to figure out exactly what the band... Is there a band called EVP? Is that the problem? I think there is. All right. I think there is. There's a band. All right. So we'll figure that out. Uh, but we are going to play for you the music that we played uh, the other night at Paranite 2010. And we'll talk to you about the all-star band that was put together for that night. And then we're going to wrap up the show with our friend Chris Balzano. Uh, we're going to talk about the proliferation of puckwudgies, because puckwudgies have been everywhere the past few weeks, uh, including on Paranormal State. So we're going to talk with Chris about that coming up just a little bit later. Uh, but right now on the phone, we do have Mr. Stanley Fulham. He is the author of Challenges of Change. It's the new book that is uh, coming out in its third edition here. Uh, and if you want to find out more about the book, go to sites.google.com slash site slash challenges of change. And we'll have it linked up on spookysouthcoast.com as well. Uh, but he is a retired Air Force officer. 
and uh, he worked with NORAD. And uh, basically, he's got some uh, information to share with us about the UFO phenomena. Good evening, Mr. Fulham. How are you? Yes, good evening, Tim. Fine, thank you. And so let me start by asking you about the, the UFO prediction. And uh, you were very uh, prolific in the days leading up to October 16th. Uh, I'm sorry, October 13th. And you were discussing the uh, the idea that these UFOs were going to come down and hover over major world cities. Yes. And how did you come about with it, with this information? Well, my source is the Transgender Group, a spiritual group of 43,000 souls, very old souls, who have lived in various parts of the universe and in spiritual realms, and they bring a vast wealth of experience and knowledge to their group, and they speak as a single mind. Mm-hmm. Now, their purpose, of course, they're in what you could call heaven or paradise, one thing, which actually does not exist. Even Pope John Paul says heaven and hell are not places. They do not exist as places. They are a state of mind. Thanks God for that. So, anyway, they're starting to recognize is that there's a spiritual world, that not everybody's at the same level. The transgender group are a very sophisticated group, very knowledgeable, and a vast wealth of experience gained from all over the universe. And some of them have actually lived on Earth. Abraham, for example, the founder of the Jewish nation is a member of the Transcenters. Edgar Casey was for a while, and uh, and Peter the Apostle was as well. But they're not known as that in the Transcender group. They're, they have their spiritual names. However, <clears throat> that is my source, and uh, they can't lie. That's impossible, and they will provide information and this, uh, that type of thing. But they will never tell anyone what to do because when God created all our souls, He gave each soul only two things. He gave us free will and choice. Mm-hmm. And then he created the universes and said, go and experience all things, which we do. But it's a pretty rugged trail, and uh, for some more so than others. And so what the transgenders will do, will provide the information. They won't give me the cure for cancer. Looking for a low-down payment, low-rate mortgage to finance your... Our computer, our computer tends to fire off on its own sometimes. Sorry about that. Okay. They... Uh, <clears throat> So they won't give cures for cancer or give you the winning lottery numbers or anything like that, because that would violate the free will and choice of thousands of people who have dedicated their lives in the, in the, the research of cancer, for example. But they will provide advice and information, and this is what uh, they provided to me over the last 12 years. And we've discussed the UFO phenomena, the alien phenomena, because... As you know, uh, you just mentioned, I, I served with Bomber Command during the war, and then after the war I served with the Air Force, a permanent Air Force, and, and for a number of years I worked in NORAD, where I had some more experience with UFOs. So I've had that, and then I, of course, I met and talked to a lot of pilots and intelligence officers in NORAD, so I gathered a great deal of information about that reality. One thing I found that when I went back to the Air Force uh, in peacetime for the permanent force is that I didn't know, and I wondered, you know, who are these aliens, where are they from, why are they here, Uh, why the abductions, are they a threat? And there were no answers. And when I retired years later, I had the same questions. And so I wondered about it, and I was desperate for an answer. I talked to scientists, and I talked to a lot of well, I read practically every book that was ever written on UFOs. There were never any real answers there. And the thing that mystified me, uh, Tim, is this. 
uh, often the UFOs would appear on the radar and just suddenly, just as suddenly, disappear, reappear, disappear. And I've talked to a pilot who chased the UFO. The UFO, traveling at speeds over 2,000 miles an hour, disappeared into the side of a mountain. It didn't crash. There was no explosion. And he said that moments later, it reappeared over the top of the mountain, hovered for a minute or two, and then flew away. And I talked to a commercial pilot flying from Europe to the United States. And he was telling me about the same kind of experience he witnessed, where he saw a UFO dive into the ocean at a tremendous speed, no crash, no explosion, and then it reappeared miles further down, completely unscathed, and, and flew away. These incidents, and there were hundreds of incidents reported like that, mm-hmm. proved is that the aliens did not conform, did not function within our third dimension physical laws. So, I was a bit of a loss to where I was going to get my information from until one day I met up with a very spiritual person, a good friend of mine, and I asked her about it. I told her about my quandary. And she said, well, you're not going to get your answers here on Earth. Well, I says, I don't talk to the aliens. They don't talk to me. She says, no, but you can get your answers from the spiritual world. Uh, that was a bit much for me because of my religious background, one thing or another, and I had attended the Catholic college. and So... That was a bit much. But anyway, she said, yes, the spirit world at the, at the higher level see the Akashic records. That's one thing. And everything, every thought, word, and deed has ever done in the universe is recorded in the Akashic records, number one. And secondly, what is not recognized, not known by, well, especially Christians and Muslims, is that the soul at that level, the subconscious level, which, you know, you want to call heaven if you wish, is non-separate from all other souls. That is a reality. It may not be uh, a a state of awareness, but it certainly is a reality. So they know what other souls throughout the universe are thinking, including the Palladians, the aliens, other aliens. So nothing is hidden in the universe. So one day, I talked to them about a year ago. I've been talking with them for about 12 years now. And about a year ago, I um, asked the transcenders, you know, we were talking about our environmental crisis and the situation on Earth, and I was very concerned about it, and I was wondering if the Pleiadians, I'm um, sorry, if the aliens would ever do anything to help us in this matter. And they said, yes, about a year ago, they decided that the Asian Council, that the Asian Council consists of eight of the most prominent members in our galaxy system, Pleiades, Alpha Centaurus, and so forth, they determined that they were going to help uh, mankind to survive the encroaching environmental crisis. But they also realized that their sudden intervention on Earth would create mass chaos, fear, and panic. It would be a massive change to our to our culture, this sort of thing. And, and not only changes to our culture, to our religions, and even our governments. So they're, they're fully aware of that. And so they didn't want to create that fear, but what they thought they would do, they would display their UFOs over several of our principal cities, I, I suppose Beijing, Moscow, Washington, London, Paris, so forth. Mm-hmm. And then about three weeks ago, I was talking to the transcenders again, and I said, well, is this UFO display still on? And they said, yes, but they've changed the strategy. Now, instead of appearing over all of these major cities, they will concentrate on one city because they fear of the reaction amongst the public. 
and they chose New York because New York is an international center. New York is uh, is a very well is well the, the people there are very blasé, and they wouldn't be too shocked by seeing UFOs up in the sky. That is the reason why they chose New York. Also, so that explains why they determined to do what they did. But they still, and when I wrote my book, uh, it goes back, when I wrote about this, it was almost a year ago. And then I put down October the 13th because the translator told me that is probably the date on which they would do so. Mm-hmm. A number of people criticized me very severely for that. They said, that, you know, what you're doing is actually ridiculous. You're making a prediction. You know what happens to predictions. And you're, and if this doesn't turn out, you're going to look like a fool. That you, your book will lose all credibility and that sort of thing. I have no regrets about what I've done. Now the thing is, has the process stopped? No. I talked to transgenders again just recently, and we're uh, on that process of uh, intervening with the agents, and they will reappear on Earth here. Well, I, I can't give a specific date now. I think I will in December. And they will appear over cities. They will not communicate. They won't land yet. They will do that later. But then their appearances will become more routine. And they'll appear over their cities, over their continents. And then it'll become almost a daily event. And so that is the thing. They want to condition us, and that is what they're going to do. So that when they intervene in 2015 to clean up our, our atmosphere, we will, they will be completely accepted. So there it is, Tim. Well, I mean, one of the questions that I have is the, the transcenders sound very similar to the idea of uh, spirit guides. They sound very yes. uh, similar to the idea of the, the technicians that uh, help uh, Christopher Moon with his uh, telephone to the dead. It seems like these souls that you're talking about appear in other forms, too. Can anybody interact with the transcenders, or do they select you, or do you have to use a third party to be able to speak with them? Well, I didn't know anything about the transcenders until my spiritual friend told me is that if uh, you can talk to them, of course they have no voice boxes, so you got to do so to a channeler. And they should recommend Rick Thurston. He's a very reputable channeler here in Canada. And so I contacted him, and that's when I opened up my first communication with them, and all of my dialogues is through the channeler. There's no other way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, by, by the way, getting back uh, to some of these individual spirits, now don't forget, this is a group that decided to work as a group at that level. It would be, you know, these are very sophisticated souls. I don't imagine that, uh, well, for millions of people who are not at that level, could function within that group. So the thing is to remember is that, yes, Sometimes there is interaction with spirit, so-called spirit guides, whatever it is. But that is on an individual basis sometimes. But that is, well, let's, I'll give you this example. If you wanted to know something about the universe, uh, who would you go to? Would you, if Stephen Hawking was there, you could speak to him, mm-hmm. or would you speak to your janitor? You see, that's what I, the point I'm trying to make. Is sure, you go to where, where the information really is. And and I guess even for enlightened human beings, they kind of probably have to dumb it down considering the, oh, the wealth of knowledge that they have access to. Uh, and, and so you might ask questions of them that you don't always get the answers that you expect. Uh, I'm sure they give you very cryptic messages from time to time. Oh, yes, yeah. You know, there's no nonsense talk. There's mm-hmm. no, 
you know, idle gossip or anything like that. If I ask them a question, they answer it. But they don't never engage in loose conversations of any sort. And when when you're discussing things with them and they're telling you about the, um, you know, about these UFOs coming down and do they have any kind of influence over whoever is piloting these ships? Do these transcenders interact with them as well? I'm glad you brought up that subject because I wanted them to appear over Denver, Colorado because Jeff Peckman and his group, are you aware of Jeff Peckman? Oh, yeah, we've had him on the show. Oh, good. Now, he was, you know about what he was doing in Denver. He was appearing before the city council to try to get on the plebiscite for whatever that's going to be held there next month. And I thought it was very important. Well, I asked the president, how many Palladian spaceships are there on Earth right now? And they said 12. I said, fine. Can you, can you not communicate with them and ask them, beg them, tell them to stand full of them is begging you on bended knee, please send, divert one or two or three or four or five of these spacecraft over Denver on the morning of October the 13th when Jeff was making his petition to the city. And they said to me, well, we could pass on your request, but we have absolutely no influence over other beings because every soul has free will and choice. We cannot tell the Palladians what to do or what not to do. Mm -hmm. So... They said, but we can pass on your concerns, and, and I was hoping they would, but it didn't work out. And the reason why, I found out why, they said because uh, the players responded, because they would, it would be perceived as political influence on the, on the politics of Denver, you know, and this sort of thing, and they, they thought, no, that this would be on their mandate beyond their moral responsibility so they decided no uh, this would not be a wise thing to do sure I, I can understand where they're coming from with that well the, you know the the predictions came out in uh, well I guess in September was when uh, there was first a word of this prediction and and then October 13th comes and I can tell you that we were talking about it um, I was actually out giving a lecture on October 13th, and we were talking about, you know, everybody make sure you look outside when you go outside. And We didn't think New Bedford, Massachusetts would qualify as one of the major world cities, but, you know, <laughs> we said uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the skies, and then I see all the reports the next day about what happened in New York City, and right away, you know, I, the skeptical side of me thinks, wow, I don't know how much it costs or how they pull it all together, but that Stan Fulham's a genius. What a great what a great marketing campaign for the book to actually you know make the UFOs happen because I was skeptical at first and then we get these reports now that they were balloons from a party in Mount Vernon that had kind of uh, kind of flown their way down over uh, over Chelsea there I mean how do you relate what the transcenders told you to what actually took place Well Tim as you know, I uh, I served in the, the Air Force during the World War, World War II. I had an experience of sighting of a UFO along with hundreds of other Allied airmen, British, American, Canadian, in a prison camp in Stalag 357 in Turin, Poland, on a hot summer day when we saw a UFO, a big, red, round uh, rocket. It had no wings and it made no sound. I was traveling tremendous speed at great height. And we thought, of course, it had to be a German rocket until somebody confounded the scene when he says, yes, but it's traveling from east to west, and we were in Poland. Russia had no such technology. 
But the point I want to make, Tim, that even then, we discussed that, of course, we were fascinated by it because it had no wings Mm -hmm. and it made no sound. And it traveled, it was traveling about at least 2,000 miles an hour. We were rather fascinated by it, but we never, not one of us, ever thought that of an alien phenomena, that of an alien spacecraft. It never occurred to us. And in my camp, in, in fact, in the uh, next bunk to me in, in, the, in, the, in the prison camp was a Spitfire pilot who was shot down in Wolper, France. And he was telling me about the experience with Foo Fighters. Again, nobody ever thought at that time during the war that we ever conceive of an alien phenomena. It was only after Arnold's experience with the flying saucers, and then a book was written about that. You remember that in 19... Yep. Well, you wouldn't remember it. You well, read about it. 47, and, right? Yes, 1947. Then the world, the military, started to realize, oops, that what we were seeing was probably of an alien phenomena. Mm-hmm. And, and then it speeded. And then, of course, the, uh, the experience they had with the crash at, um, <clears throat> and, uh, oh, what Ro- did they Roswell? Uh, Roswell. And, uh, then, of course, the Americans, uh, Got the wrecked space, uh, the uh, the wrecked spacecraft, and they got bodies, and so then the whole world changed after that. But so during my Air Force career, and after you know when I went back and I served in ORAT for a while, and I I talked to many people, I talked to pilots, and this sort of thing about, <clears throat> pardon me, about their experiences and what they observed, and this sort of thing. It was rather fascinating. Now, sometimes I would be. I'll be talking to civilians, friends of mine, strangers, whatnot, people I would meet on the aircraft or on the train or at a, at, in a restaurant. And I found that whenever I brought up the subject, there were always raised eyebrows and skepticism. And I had some even good friends of mine, university graduates, say, Stan, haven't you read the good book? Haven't you seen the good book? I said, yes, I've studied religion. Well, you read about that. Where's the Asians? And, you know... Tim, I went through so much of that. And then when that thing came out, when this, I forgot his name now, when on behalf of the government, he, he was going to give an explanation of this UFO phenomena, and he called it the swamp gas. Do you remember reading about that? Dr. J. Allen Heinrich. Yes, right. I was so disgusted with it that after I just kept my mouth shut, I wouldn't talk to people about it, because in the, in the words, well, my good friend, Dave is a NORAD intelligence officer, and after my experience with scrambling a jet fighter at a UFO, they called for a meeting because they wanted to refine the uh, reporting process. And I sat down with him in the bar in Vancouver Hotel one night, and we had a long discussion about the, a number of things. And I remember him telling me, he says, at an officer's, a NORAD officer's mess dinner, he says, a general, they were talking to a general, talking to some of these intelligence officers, and the general said, he had appeared before a congressional subcommittee on uh, relating to continental defense, which also included NORAD, of course. And he said, you know, those SOBs humiliated me, insulted me, they ridiculed me. And he says, and even insinuated that NORAD officers were suffering from delusions and illusions. One of the officers standing there, there, Dave was telling me, said, well, but General, if the public were made more aware of this phenomena, then the politicians would have to react. They would have to speak out about this matter. The general turned to him. He said, the public? The public? He says, they're uneducated. 
They're misinformed, uninformed. They are just too effing stupid to cope with the reality of an alien phenomena. And then he turned to my good friend Dave, the intelligence officer, and he said, and I tell you, Dave, if you want a career in this Air Force, you keep your mouth shut about UFOs. And that pretty well explains that, that, that the mindset of the military, and it was mine as well. Don't bother talking to the public. It's a damn waste of time. And I want to tell the other thing, too, about Tim. I, I, I was trying to get this information out, some of the information I had, and I wrote to politicians in Washington and also here in Ottawa, I, I've met with politicians, talked to them about it, and the attitude I, 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 that I saw with, with these politicians is that, oh, please, don't, don't bring up this subject. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very touchy issue, and I don't want to stick my neck out. I might lose votes. You know what, Tim? You and all the others, ufologists, and doing the work you'd like in the media and elsewhere, know more. you've forgotten more about ufology phenomena UFO phenomenon, phenomenon than any politician in North America. So don't bother with them. And don't bother with the public. I don't bother with the public anymore. I wrote my book for people like you, not for the public. And I'm not trying to make money. I don't give a damn about that. And I'm not going to seek it at my age. I'm certainly not trying to seek fame and fortune. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that I had the message which I thought would be important to people like you. And that's what, the reason why I wrote that book. See, the thing is, is when something happens, like what happened Wednesday, people completely lose the, uh, the, the basic point of what went on, is you were told that they would be, you know, that they would come down and, and that the end result would be that people would be aware of their presence and it would be something that people would start to talk about. It doesn't matter what was cited over New York City. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, the mothership or if it was just a bunch of balloons. The fact was people were talking about it. The mainstream media was paying attention to it. The story got picked up internationally. So without even having to, to have this giant ship come down over every city, they got the job done. <laughs> they got yeah. people talking about it and, and little by little becoming more accepting of the idea. Well, for example, I'll get some reaction from just our conversation tonight. And I appeared uh, with the Jordan Nuri on Coast to Coast AM the other night, about a week ago. Mm -hmm. The following day, we had over 600 orders for the book. And then, and in within three days, we were sold out. So there's one of the things I also want, would like to mention to your listeners is that we're having problems because you see, we self-published. We're not a big company. Mm -hmm. And so there have been delays. Now I'm going into another printing, and the, my, my friend, the printer, said he'll try and get it out within eight to nine days. And then we'll have the, uh, the the next edition out again, but uh, but the thing is though, uh, Tim, is that uh, I think you will appreciate why I didn't really want to bother the public. Like for example, this story about balloons, you know, over New York. This story, I, I, I tell people, don't bother me with that. Mm -hmm. Look, I've been through that. I've been through that for sixty years now, and I don't want to be bothered. I don't talk to people about these things. You want to believe it's balloons? You believe that. But don't waste my time. I don't, at my age, I, I, I don't have that luxury anymore of wasting time arguing with, with somebody, whether it's uh, swamp gas or whether it's balloons or what. I don't bother. And you I know, as, move on. as, 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 uh, as Stanton Friedman calls them, the, the nasty, noisy negativists, they always yes. have to have their explanation. And, you know, it just right. so happens that, you know, uh, you know 3,000 miles away, you know, somebody opens up a screen door and the dog gets out, and all of a sudden that explains why somebody saw a UFO over China. You know, it just they, they always seem to make these connections no matter what. 
you yeah. know, sometimes it turns out to be right, and sometimes it's like a flimsy excuse. So, no, but it's, Kim- it's, it's interesting though that you mentioned the fact that you you're getting all this interest in the book and getting all these people ordering it because it, it it shows that the people out there are can be accepting of this idea, and it, when the transcenders are telling you that people aren't quite ready for it yet. Um, there is a certain percentage of people that I think are. Oh yeah. I mean, at what point do they? Do you think that they might possibly try to make contact with just maybe that percentage? I don't know what that percentage is. I don't. I, I really don't. Sure. I really don't yeah, know. but I mean, we but, can't throw a number on it. But I mean, why is it that they can't make uh, contact with those that would understand and that can help spread the word? That I can't explain either. Okay. I really don't understand the phenomena at all. Except I, I determined as I would deal with people like yourself, and uh, and you can spread the word, and I'm sure you're doing. Now, there's other, you know, my my book deals with more than UFOs. It deals with several other major issues, and I don't think the public's are going to deal with it. And I, I was, I came to the conclusion the only place where any action is going to be taken is at the university level, and I'm hoping that with people like yourself. Spreading the word, university students hear that and they start talking about it, and I think that's where it's where it's going to be at. But Tim, uh, the one other thing I want to mention about this UFO display, sure. which I just is very important, extremely important. Somehow there's a lot of misconceptions about this. They think, oh well, they just want to come and, and interact with it and talk to us, whatever it is. No, there's a purpose in it, and what it is, they've been they've studied the Earth now for well, at least a million years or more. Wow. The Alpha Centaurians is the greatest military complex in the universe. They monitor us 24 hours a day. So there's no such thing as some bad aliens out there are going to come over and take over Earth. That's, that's, that, damn, that is nonsense. But anyway, the thing is, the, uh, the transgenders have mentioned to me long, quite some time ago that there were countless thousands of alien societies much like Earth's, who have polluted their environment to total extinction. Not a single being, not an animal, not a plant survived. And they said, now, we are not the worst. But they said, you're on that path, and you're in the top 10%. Now, with the pollution, the CO2 pollution that's taken place in our atmosphere. Now, the Palladians, especially, well, not only the Palladians, there is the Alpha Centaurians and others, are well aware of our situation. They discuss it at the Asian Council regularly. And about a year ago, they... Oh no, let, let me backtrack a little bit here, okay. Tim. Now, countless thousands of societies like ours, and they just disappear. Where, were the Asian, where was the Asian Council? Where were the Palladians? Where were the Alpha Centaurians? We have such great power, I think... Why weren't they there to help them? They didn't. Now, that that raised a question with me, a very serious question about that. And so I, I wondered why they didn't. And so I brought this up to the uh, transgenders. Why are we so special? It reminds me, like, you know, paraphrasing the old biblical uh, saying, What art thou, man, that God is mindful of thee? Well, I paraphrase that to read, What art thou, man? that the aliens are mindful of the because why did they decide they were going to intervene and clean up our environment probably in 2015 and the reason there are two reasons well there may be more but the transgender gave me two reasons for this one of them is 
Earth is unique in the universe. I repeat that. We are unique in the universe. Mm -hmm. Is that we have the highest emotional energies of any planetary system in the universe. Now, agents are fascinated by us. For example, they watch our communication all the time, our, our movies, they watch our TV, and this sort of thing. The Alpha Centaurians, who are a very rough group of uh, beings, if you want to call that, because they're very powerful beings, they are fascinated by our Western movies. They know all about Roy <laughs> Rogers and this sort of thing, and they love those movies. So they are fascinated by it. You know that uh, translator told me there were over 300 billion aliens who were watching the Winter Olympics in Vancouver last winter. They see these beings down there, these humans, yelling, screaming, crying, hooting, hollering, all this sort of thing. And then, when they're finished this and the game is over, the competition is over, they're standing on the rostrum and they're hugging and kissing one another. They don't understand that. It is beyond, because they don't have those emotions. They don't have that kind of emotional reaction no. to anything themselves? But they're fascinated by it. No. And the other example that the transfers gave me, you, like here, I am in western Canada, you know, on the, on the prairies. We have beautiful sunsets. Well, it's the same like in the Great Plains of the United States. Beautiful sunset. When you see a beautiful sunset, you see it, but you don't only see it, you feel it. Mm -hmm. When you see, listen to some beautiful music, you feel it. You have an emotional reaction to it. Same thing as to art. Most of the aliens don't have art. They don't have music. And so, and they don't have sports. And I was quite fascinated by that because I thought that would be pretty well, you know, a, a standard thing. But the translator said, no. No, the, the Palladians are very much like us in many ways. They have some form of, form of music, but we'd hardly recognize that as such. When they have some form of sports, but quite different from what we have. Not as competitive, and that's certainly not with the emotions there. So we are unique because of our emotional energies, number one. Secondly, because the Asian Council thought there was hope for us, is that we are evolving spiritually to a higher spiritual consciousness. That's what the Mayan prophecies are all about. Where it's not the end of the world or the planet, or our planet. Mm -hmm. It is the end of our consciousness of everybody grabbing whatever it is. It's all for me, greed, and that sort of thing. That is rapidly changing to a new, higher spiritual consciousness. They see that hap happening within the next 10, 15 years. Actually, would you believe, starting in Russia, there's a guru, a young, a young man there now, who is very active, and he's going to play a very prominent role in this whole development. So those are two important reasons. There could be other reasons as well, Tim, but uh, uh, for now, because of limitations of time, that'll do. Well, don't, do they think, or, or maybe you haven't received this answer from the transcenders, but wouldn't uh, their appearance here help us get to that bigger consciousness a little bit faster? Well, this is what they said. Uh, I'll just read out to you. I asked them about that. and I'll just, can I just briefly read out what they said. Sure. I said the alien interaction could be a very positive spiritual experience, just what you said, Tim. It would dispel mankind's myths regarding the threat of aliens and challenge mankind with their greater spiritualism and concepts of God and his creation. And the translator said, you are looking at a huge cultural change and impact in your reality. You have to remember that for them to appear in your reality, it is going to affect your belief systems, your cultures, your economic realities will change. Your whole world will change as you know it. The Asian Council understands that. 
They've had eons of experience with similar situations on other planets such as yours. So it is not simply a matter of cleaning up the environment. It would literally change the entire structure of your society. As we have said many times, only mankind could be so egotistical that they are the only intellectual and intelligent life form in the universe that is literally infinite. And if you just think about that for a minute objectively, it is incomprehensible to consider just to consider the fact that in the universe, vast as it is, that man would be the only intelligent life form. So does it make any rational sense? So it, it does not make any rational sense. That was your comment. Well, have they told you other things uh, about the Earth uh, itself? Have the transcenders uh, shared with you information about things that are going on here on our own planet? Oh, yes, of course. We, we discussed the financial and economic systems, which are about to collapse. We discussed, there, you know, there, I call them the four horsemen. One of them, of course, is earth changes. Now, earth changes, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, all that, that's earth changes. Mm-hmm. That's going to start sometimes maybe this winter. It gets worse, and it culminates in pretty well December 2012 with disastrous results all over the world. Millions and millions of people will die and on, on, on. It's a pretty grim story. Now, that's one thing. Then we have the, uh, the international terrorism. Al-Qaeda, for example, has a dirty nuclear bomb. And so I, a good part of my book deals with that issue. So it's not, we're not just dealing with UFOs. So what do you do about that? I'd recommend that immediately, because we don't have that much time to spare, that the United States offer them a general amnesty to Al-Qaeda. And the reason why is because in those caves, because nothing is hidden, like I point, nothing is hidden from the transgender because all souls at their level is non-separate. So they know what they're thinking. They know what they're doing. There's a great deal of moral conflict going on now between the al-Zawahiri, who is the leader of the jihadists. There's about 25 or 30 of them. But there are approximately 1,200 scientists and technical staff there in those caves. And these people are making good money. And they're, you know, they've lived a pretty good life. They don't want to die. So the jihadists are prepared to give up their lives. So there is that moral conflict going on there about what to do. So now it's timely to delve in there and say, okay, what we'll do is give you a general amnesty. But the question is, though, it arises quite often to me anyway, well, if that is the case, and uh, Israel is their enemy, why don't they drop the bomb on Israel? It is, that, it is the problem of containment of collateral damage. You know, the old expression, collateral damage, goes all back, all the way back to Oklahoma. You remember that, mm-hmm. uh, Tim? So they know that their bomb, if they set off a bomb in Israel, it's a small country that they can't contain the radioactive fallout. And besides, there's about a million and, uh, I think about a million and 300,000 Palestinians living in Israel. Then what about the radioactive fallout that goes over from the, with the westerlies into Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and so forth. What about if there are hundreds of thousands of Muslims who are killed? What would Allah say about that? You see the moral predicament they suddenly have? And you know that the transgenders tell me that even Iran are at that level too. They're thinking, hmm, sure, we could spend billions developing uh, nuclear bombs. They haven't, and they won't. Because one of the things is that in the very small territory of the Middle East, how would you contain the collateral damage? So that is. Uh, so what is going to happen there? I don't know. I'm not quite sure what will happen there. But one of the things that 
I suggested to the transitors that maybe one of the things the United States should consider right now is a general amnesty to al-Qaeda to say, okay, here are the conditions, hand over all these the nuclear bombs, hand over your weapons of mass destruction, and you'll be relocated to a, a country of your choice under United Nations administration, and you must sever all relations with your groups, uh, al-Qaeda groups throughout the world, you know, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's more to my book than just UFO. Well, I mean, and having the ability to speak with these transcenders is uh, is the well, duty. The duty kind of falls upon you then to help spread uh, some of that word. So what it is that they tell you, you want to make sure you get out there. I have one question for you, and maybe it's something that hasn't come up, but maybe it's something they've shared. What about a lot of the things that we discuss on this show? The idea of of ghosts, the idea of Bigfoot and other crypto creatures. Have the transcenders given you any insight into these phenomena that we deem the paranormal? Yes. Yeah. We've discussed this at length. Now, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing three. I have a book. My next book coming out is on the Bermuda Triangle. That is a fascinating story mm-hmm. all of itself. I can't go into details now, but, and my third book is dealing with strange agents. And, uh, then, uh, the, the fifth book it deals with religion and spiritualism. And but in one of the books, I well in my book you haven't read it yet. They, you know, challenge the change. I deal, for example, with the Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were originally they were uh, they were manufactured, if you want to call that, in at uh, Atlantis to perform a very specific role of uh, you know of dealing with some of the more hard labor, you know, that they had to do in this sort of thing. And then when Atlantis sunk, some of them managed to escape. I don't know how or where, but they ended up in various parts of the world, but mainly they were in northern Russia, northern and, and uh, northern Canada, in those areas. There's only about 400 of them left. But I, I have that story in my book, so anybody who's interested in it could uh, read about it there. Now, about ghosts, of course, there are ghosts, but I can't get into involved in that at this time. Okay. But there's other strange things that's happening in the world. I'll tell you, they were, I'll tell you, Tim, you know, as I went along, you know, I remember sometimes just sitting back and saying, my God, how great thou art. And we have no understanding. And we have no imagination of how great and how mysterious this universe really is. Now, for example, it just happened the other day. Now, there's the, do you remember hearing about the story about this village in China that disappeared? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's very damn strange. So I asked the transcenders about, did that actually happen? Yes. Hmm. And then they, they told me exactly what happened and why. Now they're back there again, 33 hours later, they're back there. Well, what happened? Well, how did they disappear over all that period of time? Now I'm going, I'm, uh, I'm preparing a report on that, uh, for my website, um, sometimes within the next week or two, and I'll have it up on my website. That'll be up on the uh, the sites.google.com slash site slash challenges of change. Yeah, yes. We got to get you the challenges of change.com <laughs> URL. It'll be a lot easier. So, uh, but all right. So that's the site to go to 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 read what Stanley Fulham will have to say about that, and also yeah. to order the book. And yeah. uh, hopefully, we can get some some more copies of that rolling out. But like you said, you know, people have to be patient, and uh, it's not like uh, publishers are going to want to get this stuff out there. So you got to do it all yourself, and it takes time. Well. You know, there, there, there's publishing in the United States that are now are perking up and paying attention. I got a call from uh, a group in 
in Scandinavia, and they want the publishing rights for Scandinavia, so it's 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 rolling. Good. So then you'll get some help, and it'll be a lot easier to help spread the word. Then. Yes, indeed. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I look forward to when I do get the book and having the chance to read it. Hopefully, we can have you come back and we can talk more in depth about some of the things that you discuss. Okay, Tim. And good night to you. And thank you. Bye. That is Stanley A. Fulham. The book is called Challenges of Change. Uh, Sites.google.com slash site slash challenges of change is the web address. We'll have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well so that you can get right to there and and read these different reports that Stan's putting up there. And there's a lot of interesting information up there. He's been following these UFO sightings on the website as well so you can follow along with what goes on there. So it's just another example in in my mind, Matt Moniz, of somebody who's getting out there who has the credentials, you know, who has this background and that might make people sit up and, and pay attention to what he has to say. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see, but uh, hopefully people can um, get that book soon and at least see what Stan's all about. To me, it's it's interesting whenever somebody sticks their neck out that far, you know that they've had something profound happen to them. He is definitely uh, in full belief of what he's saying. And he is sticking his neck out. So yes. uh, we'll find out when the book comes out more. But uh, I, I, the idea of the Transcenders, we can't. Dismiss that when we're talking about you know people who talk to spirit guys and people who communicate with spirits. So, uh, for all we know, and I had, by the way, I had a UFO sighting the other night, and I didn't tell you about this. And uh, we we'll, we're going to talk a little bit more about Paranite uh, in the next hour about uh, the great time that we had there and everything. We'll play the clips from EVP. But as I was driving home at three thirty in the morning, after we went to the Lizzie Borden house for the VIP investigation afterwards, I'm driving uh, from down. 195. I'm crossing that section in the middle of New Bedford, you know, where you're going by Cogshall Street. Yeah. And I'm driving down there, and coming at me from the other side over, like, the Akushnet area is two lights, two bright white lights stacked one on top of the other. And not sideways like car headlights, but stacked one on top of the other. And it's flying at me very fast, well, flying, you know, in the direction toward me very fast. And immediately my first thought is the airport. But then I'm thinking, wait, it's 3.30 in the morning. So it flies at me very quickly, uh, and then all of a sudden, it twinkles out and disappears. So whatever it was, it flew out, twinkled out, disappeared. Curious. So it is a UFO because it's unidentified. All right, we'll be right back with a lot more coming up on hour number two. Stay tuned for more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we want to say welcome to all the new listeners. We've been out there meeting people. Uh, we've been 
having newspaper stories done about us and about my book, Ghosts of the South Coast, which is you know, still available for purchase. I'll be doing a book signing tomorrow at uh, the 80 Makepeace Tyhonet Village Market as part of their Haunted Bog Night in Wareham from 6 to 9. Uh, and then next Saturday, I'll be at the Old Company Store in Wareham from 1 to 5. And then next Sunday, Halloween, I'll be at the Fall River Historical Society from 12 to 2.30. And all these appearances are up on the Ghost of the South Coast website, which is linked up right there on the front of SpookySouthCoast.com. Great job by Matt Casa running that site. He's made sure to put up all the stories about us uh, and about the book so you can read them. And thank you to all the people who read the Boston Herald story online and decided to comment uh, underneath it. And uh, the answer as to why all paranormal investigators weigh at least 300 pounds is because the people who we help in their residential homes who have these investigations done to help quell their own fears and, and solve their own family uh, concerns are always are nice enough to reward us with some sort of meal. And uh, and then if uh, we find ourselves driving home at 2.30 in the morning and the only place open is McDonald's. So that's probably why. And as to why my co-hosts look like uh, Cousin Hit, Cousin It from the Adams Family and a cast-off from the Goonies, well, that's because Matt Moniz used to play Cousin It on the Adams Family, and Matt Costa was actually the stunt double for John Matusak in the Goonies. So, <laughs> Normally, I don't bother responding to, to people that uh, post things online, because, you know, anybody that posts up things on under a story on a news site, you got to worry about some of them sometimes. But I just thought it was pretty funny stuff, so... Uh, you can check that out up on the Ghost of the South Coast site. And <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, I I don't like to engage in war, you know, but we don't take ourselves that seriously, so at it's all. not like it bothers us at all. Um, but we we did talk about controversy here, and not so much controversy, but how easily things can be mistaken uh, in the paranormal field, and that's what we had happen uh, this past week, and we're going to bring up Luann Jolie from Wailing City Ghosts, who is on the line with us right now. And for the record here, uh, and I, I know we've stated this on the show before, Luann, we're going to state this again, but whenever anybody hears those great EVPs that came from the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, uh, that uh, investigation where uh, I was sworn at, where I was called an a-hole, where I was told to go F myself, and where we captured the voice of Lizzie Borden on tape, that was actually Luann's recorder. Luann from Wailing City Ghost, who is able to get all kinds of spirits to come and communicate with her, Whenever she goes out, because basically she's a nice person and the ghosts understand that. It's all, it's your evidence, Luann. And, and if, if we've never said that on the show, which I think we have, I just want to clarify that right now. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Are there? Okay. Now, the, the situation, if you don't mind me kind of sharing with the listeners the story of what happened. Oh, of course not. Is you contacted me. You said that your sons had been watching a Comcast on demand special. And that uh, on that special, Matt Moniz was talking about the ghost at Lizzie Borden's. And they played the EVPs that, that you had captured. And they remarked that it was Matt Moniz who had captured them. Yeah. My sons were actually all upset. <laughs> they were ready to go hunt down Matt Moniz, poor guy. <laughs> or as they called him on the special, Matt Moniz. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Matt Monas. <laughs> so, and it was also D Monas that we also got to remember. Yep. This this was also recorded what two or three years ago? Yeah, I think it was two thousand eight. Yeah. So, but what you know, we talked about it, and I said, you know, I can't imagine that Matt would have said I capture, but sometimes you know you get you get kind of wrapped up in the moment, and they kind of tell you what to say, and they tell you like I was explaining to you, you know, don't say Wailing City Ghosts because they're not here. They take you out of the moment, and and. So that he may have said it for that reason. But I went back and I watched the clip that you directed me to. 
And yep. here's the problem that happens all the time with this stuff. Yeah. It was done in voiceover by the reporter. The reporter is the one that said that Matt Moniz captured it. And no matter what you tell the reporter, they're going to say what they want to say in their voiceover. Yeah, they like to do that, don't they? Well, like I said, though, because they want to make sure that you don't take... Because well, they, I, th- I honestly think it was an honest mistake because it was our event that was going on. It was a spooky event. We were there to mm-hmm. do this, and you happened to be part of the event. I think what it was is she didn't separate or see you as like a separate entity, even though I did say, uh, you know, these recordings came from Lou Anjali of uh, Whaling City uh, Ghosts. But like I said, the, these... Reporters and camera people will edit things for time to get them on uh, TV. Well, the funny thing, too, is that a lot of people actually think that Whaling City Ghost is part of Spooky because we just really have been together for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, since probably your first show, that if you say Whaling City Ghost, people actually do say, oh, yeah, Spooky South Coast. And it's like, oh, well... Yeah, we work with them a lot, but we're not actually part of the show. We just kind of help you guys out. And and we couldn't think of anybody better for us to be associated with. Yeah, same we're, thing oh, with Greenville well, Paranormal. Thank you. We're sorry. We're sorry. We drag you down yeah. <laughs> by hooking you up with our <laughs> reputation. But uh, no, but I mean, and that's. Uh, but I do. I do want Matt Moniz to say to apologize for the confusion. I do apologize for the confusion as best I can. I mean, <laughs> but again, it, it 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 is one of those things where we don't have control over it. And I don't know, Luann, have you? I know that you've shared your evidence with media outlets. Have they had you sign the the release forms for the evidence? Um, Ghost Lab did actually make me sign a form. Um, none of the other shows that we've actually shared some of our evidence with have not actually had me sign a release. And I don't know, I'm, I'm obviously you're not going to read a whole five or six page release when they're shoving it in your face and asking you to sign it. But basically, you know, we always write on those releases, uh, this clip courtesy of this person, this clip, because we want them to put it on the screen so that you get the promotion out of it. Right. And they never do. Well, the way I see it is the media is a very trust, hard entity to trust. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do what they want to do anyways in the end. And what I had actually realized later was that whole little on-demand piece seems almost like it's pieces of other things that they were showing. So it's very easy to see how something like that could be confused. And they do that, though. They they love to... Uh... They're looking for sound bites. Yeah, right. and they love to take the littlest clips. Like, I can tell you that. I guess I'll tell you this. I mean, it might hurt my chances of getting on another one of these little things, but whatever. I went and filmed that, uh, well, Matt Moniz and I both yeah. went and filmed that Travel Channel thing. Now, Matt spent more time there at the house that day than I did, and he didn't end up making the cut. And another day, you know, for Monster Quest, we were both there together yep. for the whole day, and he's all over that, and I was in for 30 seconds. They're just going to pick and choose what they want. They took everything that I said to Monster Quest, and they put it into narration, you know, into the script that they had the narrator read, all the information that I gave them. Uh, and then... But in that one that we did for the Travel Channel recently, uh, you know, they asked me to rate the place on, uh, from a scale of 1 to 10. How haunted do you think that this place is? Now, me being, I guess, media savvy because I work in the business, you know, I know what they're looking for. But if they ask Matt Moniz that question, you know, Matt Moniz is a scientist. He's going to look at it objectively and he's going to give them an answer. Oh, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it a 4.5, which is still pretty high. 
you know, but I know what they're looking for. So I say, this place is a ten and a half. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that one little clip that they can run in a trailer, you know, on a commercial to get people to watch the show that Friday night. And I think that's what ends up happening is they cut cut it. So even if we're sitting there, because I'm, I'm going to warn you now that it's probably going to happen with Ghost Lab. And as I said to you on the phone, if they do show us yeah. on that program, we said that Wailing City Ghost captured this evidence. Repeatedly. And it'll probably get cut out. Just because you weren't there when we were filming it. Yeah. And so they look at that and they say, well, who's Wailing City Ghost? They're not here, so don't reference them. Well, I was actually there the next day. Leanne had invited me up, and I did get mm-hmm. to meet the crew. And I did actually get to the, see the show itself, and I found that it was actually probably one of the better paranormal shows today. Um, you know, most of these shows just seem like they're there for the shock factor, and I don't think all of them portray paranormal investigators as truly as they should. So yeah. <laughs> it is pretty much a tough call with these TV shows. And, and the funny thing is, is you know, when I saw it, I, I was kind of a little bit hurt because I was like, well, gee, why didn't Matt just call me? He knows I'd let him use my evidence anytime he needs to. You know, I, I actually enjoy sharing evidence because I think that's how all of us are going to learn and how all of us are going to bring the field forward is together. And, you know, my sons were just so outraged. It was actually kind of funny. <laughs> and, you know, too, and not that it would be right that anything gets credited just to Spooky South Coast, but, you know, you are part of that family as well. So there well, may thank you. there's going to be times when you're going to get lumped in with us whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I always enjoy working with you guys. You know that. And likewise. And I, I would never want something... As great as the evidence is, and as great as the the EVPs that you captured are, I would never want something like that to ever come in, you know, in between our friendships. So. No, that's that's even what I said to you. I don't want any of this to come between us, you know, because it's important for all of us to be that family. And when we work that way together, where we're willing to share and we want to help each other out, I think that shows the unity of the field, you know, and. To me, paranormal investigation teams that don't work like that, they're, they're hurting themselves, you know, because there is so much more to learn out there. And I, I say it all the time, you know, anyone who calls themselves an expert in the paranormal field is full of you-know-what, <laughs> because all of us are babes in the woods. None of us really have any answers. And the way that we will get answers is when we do work together and share and I never, ever have a problem with sharing something, you know, if it's going to help all of us learn or maybe even prove the existence of ghosts, you know, with these audio clips. And that, to me, that that makes me feel great because the paranormal is very personal to me, and it, it means a lot to me to be credible and to be professional out there and to be good to all the other people that we work with. Absolutely. I you know? think- I think this also shows what should be done to prevent other paranormal drama. Stop and actually talk to the other person first. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's like, because once, you know, you were upset and what did you do? You got in contact and said, what happened? Yep. And you found out what happened rather than just automatically retaliating or reacting in an adverse way. And all of a sudden this is escalating over some sort of miscommunication, which mm-hmm. could have been resolved if... 
like what we just did. We called and the contacted only, The only show. problem is it was filmed two years ago. You never saw it, and Luann's watching it two years later. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anybody's to blame, it's freaking Comcast for, well, for not making it more accessible. It's been out there all this time, and I, it really, I never had a clue it was out there. I would have enjoyed watching it two years ago. I hadn't even remembered it until, like, Tim... Tim called me as I had to like explain to him what was going on in the clip so he could kind of remember because he doesn't remember what he did last week. So, and yeah. uh, the the lesson learned from this Luann though, absolutely, get rid of Comcast and switch to FiOS. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. I I never had Comcast. It's actually my my oldest son who has it, and now you see why. I guess <laughs> I don't have Comcast. <laughs> And but, you know, the funny thing is, is every time that Wayland City Ghost has worked with Spooky South Coast, I have to say we've always been impressed with, you know, you guys are thinking people who don't just take a situation for granted. You actually try to look into what's going on and find explanations, and, and I appreciate that in another team. Well, thank you. And we appreciate yeah. the fact that you're a feeling person and that you can take the compassion into it that we being uh, – skeptical cold scientific and and sometimes in my case you know point blank aggressive uh, you can kind of bring us back to remembering that we might be dealing with what are really just people you yeah. well actually i was kind of surprised i i read the uh, piece on the kokoshan club and I, I actually had to say they were abusing my marie how could they do that <laughs> well that's why we sent you out of the room yeah because <laughs> so. you knew i'd cry <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for for joining us, and hopefully we've got everything cleared up here. And this can serve as an example to other groups of of what's going to happen when you put your stuff out there. And and everybody wants to get on these TV shows and documentaries when the media comes calling, but you got to kind of be aware of what could happen. Uh, oh, as you a sure do. Again, I'm sorry, Luann, if there was confusion, but it was beyond my control. Yeah. Well, you know, I understand that, and that's why I talked to you guys about it. And like I told you, if I had seen on that clip him saying, I captured, I captured, I would have given him a nice punch never, in the arm right here. I always, <laughs> it, whenever an investigation is, it's always we. Oh, because in the science field, you don't want that kind of stuff to happen to you. You don't want people to take your work. and Although no, it does happen all the, ones, the time. Unless they're the ones that sign your paycheck because you're doing well, it for them. <laughs> no, but I'm saying you see that in science all the time, people hijacking other mm-hmm. people's stuff or somebody referencing something. And it not being further without referenced, cr- credited without accreditation, in following, yeah, in following periodicals, you know, the, it's common. And Chris Balzano, I mean uh, Hilly, but Chris is in the chat room sharing a similar encounter that happened with him. Uh, so maybe we can get him to share that on the air when he joins us a little bit later. So that would be great. And and Luann, you missed Paranite. I know you couldn't make it out, but we're gonna play. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna play a couple of the clips from our band EVP. So oh, awesome! <laughs> All right, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking and working with you soon. Awesome, sounds great. All right, have a great you guys. Night. Stay spooky. You too. Good night. Bye bye, Luann Jolie from Wailing City Ghosts. All right, we are gonna actually. Do we need to take a break? Because I'd rather just roll right into these if we can. Yeah, we do have to. All right, go right ahead. Let's roll right into these. We're going to play. We Now, we played three songs. Uh, we played, uh, we're going to play the first song that we played, and we're going to play the one that we closed it out with. In the middle, there was a great performance of Friend of the Devil between Jeff Belanger, uh, who you know is the host of 30-odd minutes and the author of many paranormal books and the founder of GhostVillage.com, and our friend Carlson Chopswood, bluesman extraordinaire and paranormal investigator with Phantom P.I., uh, they did a great uh, performance with the acoustic and electric guitars of Friend of the Devil. Uh, you can check that out on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash spooky south coast. 
But uh, we're going to play for you the, the couple of songs that had the full band, which was Jeff and Carl, uh, myself playing bass, Matt Costa on rhythm guitar, Matt Moniz on drums, and he worked he worked very hard. I was very impressed by his work behind the drums, and uh, it made me feel sloppy on the bass. And uh, <laughs> and Sarah Coombs, who was our, our tambourine um, mean, girl, yeah, and she did a great job. And a special guest. You have to see the video for yourself, and it's right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com, but... Uh, in our closing song, there's a little special guest there that you're going to want to see for yourself. But right now, Matt, why don't we roll those two songs for everyone? This is the world premiere live of the rock group, power rock group, EVP, the world's most paranormal rock group.
There you have it, uh, two of the clips from EVP's premiere performance. And I guess the idea is that we're going to dust this off every once in a while for different paranormal events and maybe some charity things. And I can tell you I was already talking to Wayne Morrison, the organizer of uh, Rock for Christmas, and I put a bug in his ear that maybe uh, when they come play December 10th in Fall River uh, that maybe we could weasel our way in. We'll see. So, But anyway, there you go. If you have a, a, a wedding birthday party, bar mitzvah, or funeral that you need a paranormal rock band for, give us a call. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna practice. We're going to sound a lot better next time. That was Actually, that was only with about a, a couple of hours practice two nights Not before. Not even. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we got together after our thing in Wareham at the Wareham Historical Society, and we kicked it out for a little bit, and then uh, that's that was the end result. So hopefully uh, we can get it to sound a lot better. But uh, what a great time we had at Paranite with everybody. Uh, Bob Merch did a great presentation on Ouija boards. And Jeff, of course, always rocks the house with his uh, with his unique and innovative uh, discussions. And uh, we had a great meal. The Water Street Cafe's new chef, Chef Michael, did an outstanding job. And the place was just great. Everybody had such a, a, a fun time there. Everybody was coming up afterwards and saying how fun it was. And the, the investigation was cool at the end. And, and Tiffany was there. Tiffany Rice was there doing her Greetings. readings. And, and people were walking away. Uh, we had to do them in the bathroom just to have a quiet place. And people were walking out of the bathroom with their mouths dropped open. That's how, 
how good she was too. So uh, we, we have plans of doing many more of these in the future, uh, making Paranite hopefully a yearly event and also having some other smaller events along the way. So you never know where EVP could be performing, you know, world tour. <laughs> All right. Why don't we take a quick one-minute break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Chris Balzano about the proliferation of puckwudgies. They seem to be everywhere now, and uh, even making it onto some of these paranormal TV shows. So let's talk about that with Chris. He is the puckwudgie guy, and uh, that's he should be known about that throughout the world. He's the guy that brought these into the paranormal world from Native American lore and legend. So we're going to talk with Chris in just a minute, so stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. almost broke down that microphone, Costa. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and our content director for Spooky South Coast, Chris Balzano, joins us on the line because he is also in his in his day-slash-night job. He is the puckwudgie guy. He is the go-to guy for anything to do with the Native American creature known as the puckwudgie, and... Uh, what is it, man? It's like Puckwudgies the new jack-o'-lanterns. It comes Halloween time, and they're just everywhere. It's really crazy. I mean, I remember when I was first doing my research for um, for Dark Woods, I put Puckwudgie into the Google. I put it in several different forms, like all the ones that I had read. I had read it in uh, Joe Citro's book, uh, Passing Strange, which is a great book. And uh, the only references out there were to no matter what the spelling was was to um was to the Gene Frince book. Um you know, the 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 good giant and the bad puck wedgies. And now it's completely exploded. And so it's 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 very interesting the the little path this creature has taken in the past uh two, three years especially. Well we you know, we were talking about how these uh television programs will kind of slice and dice where they see fit and recently you appeared on Paranormal State last Sunday uh, on Paranormal State when they had a case that, you know, it seemed to be something kind of dark and mysterious, and, and uh, for whatever reason they came to believe that it was a puckwudgie. Um, I have my own theories as to why they came to that conclusion. But, uh, well, let, let, let me just ask you what you thought of the episode and of what uh, what they did with your contribution. Well, I mean, I, I think that if I was given a lot of those facts, um I would have investigated with Puck Wedgie in the back of my mind, so I don't think they were completely um, off base for that. Um, one of the things that was really odd, and it's, it's kind of part of the, 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 the story and part of the trip that this uh, the Puck Wedgie has taken is that, you know, I mean, we talked for probably about 45 minutes um, on the air, you know, with, with them actually recording it. We talked for probably another 45 without it being recorded, mm-hmm. and it kind of cut, cut down to plant a strawberry bush, and everything is going to be okay, um, which <laughs> obviously would, would not be my advice, uh, because, you know, in, in Wampanoag lore, uh, there is no solution to the puck wedgie. But, but what's interesting about it is I, I had a gentleman contact me from, uh, from the, you know, the Pennsylvania area, from Pittsburgh, 
And uh, he said, well, maybe I'm drawing the puck wedges in because I've got blackberries, and blackberries are like strawberries. And, I, and it, it, it's kind of the, it's, it's the, I'm not so much concerned that my part got cut off, but more of this kind of proliferation of misfacts um, mm-hmm. in terms of that, you know, the whole strawberry bread aspect of the puck wedgies, like one little footnote in the story. And it's really like they did a lot of bad things. It just happened to be the, this one guy really hated the fact that they, they stole his bread. And now it becomes like strawberries are linked to the puck wedgie forever now. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, and unfortunately that's, you know, not necessarily the, the truth of things. And it's kind of, you know, one of those, you know, touchstones for people. Who, okay, so puck bread, bread, strawberries. Now strawberries. That's what we got to do, strawberries. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, like, you know, because in all honesty, like in that case, I was more of like the best thing you can do is ignore them. Everything says that they go away, that things don't escalate in modern times to, you know, unless you're on their territory and being evasive in some place like Vail End. Um, but, of course, all that got left out, which is, you know, fine for media entertainment, but the 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 Internet has really now picked that up as well. And so... However, puckwudgies were before, um, which was starting to kind of change, and these really odd pictures coming up on the site, and I'm like, you know, all these different websites. I'm like, well, that doesn't look anything like what the people I've talked to have explained, have mm-hmm. have, have, have described. Um, but now all these other kind of uh, bits of misinformation are kind of becoming attached to it, too. Well, yeah, now what happened on Paranormal State is going to become the definition of a puckwudgie to people. And that's where right, I, right. I have a problem with it myself, because... It seems to me like uh, to those who are <clears throat> scripting uh, that program, and I'll use that term in a very loose sense. I'm not saying that it, it's fake. I'm just saying to those who are uh, pulling together the information for that program uh, might have seen puckwudgie as a new buzzword within the field, and now we have to find a way to involve a case uh, that – because uh, – all right. Ryan Buell and, and PRS, they're not here to defend themselves, uh, so I don't want to launch into an attack on their show or how they conduct themselves on their show, but Ghost Hunters had a franchise built on the Sci-Fi Channel of going in there and conducting scientific investigations. I don't know anybody from PRS. I don't know how they investigate. I don't know how they conduct their general research. But all of a sudden, it seems like they come out and every case they get is something dark, these dark entities that are following Ryan Buell around. So it seems like it was, let's find the different direction to go. And now I think Puckwudgie being a buzzword is it's, let's see who could be the first paranormal reality show to get a Puckwudgie case. Right. Uh, and, and, right. That, and just as an outside observer and, and being skeptical of how these programs are working now, uh, that's the way that I saw it. I mean, I, I think that they should be given some credit for going to uh, another source. Um, I don't necessarily know if I would put the word expert next to anything that I do, but yeah. I think I think they deserve that kind of credit, but I, I completely agree because Puck Wedgie has been, especially in the last year, gaining a lot of momentum. You know, I you know, I run different searches for uh, Ghost Village News, and one of the things I put in there were the different spellings of Puck Wedgies, and I get something every two or three weeks. Um, even before the paranormal state, I was now getting something two, three times a week, and, of course, now uh, at least one thing every day, and that release generally has five or six different uh, different things, and, and it's and it's it's uh, it's alarming just in the fact that it's you know although in another in another sense like absolutely amazing because the folklore is kind of taking on a second life and now becoming something else. So if you take a step back and you don't really care about any of this stuff, 
as a folklorist, it's amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. It seems like, uh, well, first of all, you said that you wouldn't put expert next to your name in anything. If it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the West Wing, I would put <laughs> expert down next to your name. But uh, as somebody who has watched the evolution of the reputation of this creature, though, uh, are we going to see more and more investigators who now, you know, are, are groups going to start having a puckwudgie person yes. in their group? Yes, yes. You think they so? Are. They already are. They already are. I've already given gotten calls in the past three months uh, to be a puckwudgie consultant for someone. Um, I know that there are certain TV shows that are in development um, that have called on me several times to be like, "Is this a puckwudgie? Is this a puckwudgie?" Um, and so, I mean, I think uh, I've, we've already kind of seen that. And the, and the best part is, is that you see certain buzzwords that have been used in my articles start to become really identifiable with this. Um, uh, phenomenon in it, and it's kind of interesting just to sit back and watch. You know, it, it was funny because my wife even uh, they said something like, "Didn't you say that?" Like, wasn't? And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm not into necessarily putting my stake down as you know the originator of Puckwudgie. It's been around for a lot longer than me, but it's just interesting to watch that evolution. And people are really now thinking like Puckwudgie first, and you know, broken pipes later. Yeah, I mean, and I guess Puckwudgies are kind of transferable. Uh, to other Native American cultures. I'm sure a lot of them have a similar uh, entity, a similar creature. Uh, but really, aren't Pukwudgies supposedly just creatures that harass the Wampanoag Nation? No. No? no absolutely not. I mean, in the, well, I would say in the lore they are, but I mean, I clearly have documented cases where they... Well, I'm, I'm talking the terminology Pukwudgie. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, in terms of terminology, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this, and we've mentioned on the show, like, Leprechaun sounds like a puckwudgie to me. Yep. Um, Oz Spirit, uh, which, which someone, you know, first kind of exposed in, on your forum, that, that's a puckwudgie. I've sh- I showed, literally showed that picture on your website to the people who I had interviewed for Dark Woods, and they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we saw. Smaller, but that's what we saw. So it's now like, you know, it, it's the word puckwudgie, um, there's definitely a Native American association, but the, the creature itself is seen throughout the world. So as as the analytical folklorist that you are, I, I'm saying this because what you're doing is by tagging everything as a puckwudgie now, you're actually diminishing the history of whatever your area or your culture's version of that is. You're putting a tag on it to make it uh, catchy and hip with everything going on in the paranormal world, and you're totally ignoring the hundreds of years of history of the creatures that were in your own area. Yeah, and, and really what you're doing is um, putting a nice little cute uh, twist on it because if something is Native American, then it's got to be spooky and weird and eerie and misunderstood. And so you're almost adding a, a level of credibility to what you're saying because everyone has this kind of fear and this kind of awkwardness when it comes to Native American spirituality. Is there going... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're already receiving calls from groups and and uh you know facebook requests from groups and 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 all kinds of people who want to be able to relate their cases to you and say uh you know do you think this could be a puckwudgie uh, how hard is it going to be to differentiate between what is a puckwudgie and what, what might be something else um well i you know i listen for for certain markers when people say especially things that aren't as that are out there but not necessarily as widely publicized um, the gentleman I was referring to earlier, 
um, even though it wasn't mentioned on the show or, or you know, it's not one of the, the focal points of Puck Wedgie out there on the web, um, kept saying, and it was weird the way he was saying it, he was saying, I'm being haunted by these mosquitoes. Why are these mosquitoes after me? Um, and it was like, hey, you know, that's that's kind of something that's very, actually much more associated with Puck Wedgie than anything having to do with strawberries. And yet here was this guy who hadn't really done any other research other than watch the show, and he was complaining of this. So you look for little markers like that, and then, and then ultimately, this is what I've told everyone that I've associated with. I can't tell you whether it's a puck wedgie or not. If you think it is, you know, you, the information's out there. Like, mm-hmm. here's what I can tell you. And then I say, look to the lore of the local Native American tribe. How do they, how does this fit into them? How do, do they have any things to talk about the spelling? Do they have any things to talk about, you know, this being an issue in that area? If so, then, you know, kind of talk to someone who might be more of an authority on, on the history of this in your area. Um, and so that's the best you can do because, you know, ultimately I, you know, unless someone's paying me to fly around the world, I, I can't necessarily be in there, nor if I was there, am I the, you know, the number one person who can diagnose that kind of thing. Well, the other problem, too, is I think now you're going to see uh, the other side jump into this a little bit. Now you're going to see the, the cryptozoology side jump into this and say, well, if these puckwudgies do exist, they've got to be a real creature. And I've got to be able to capture one. And now you're going to see, you know, Tom Biscardi, uh, you know, puckwudgie hunts in the Freetown State Forest where they're going in with cages and, uh, you know, I don't know, bowls of dog food trying to capture these things. Yeah, and if you if you go onto the Spooky South Coast website, you can kind of see the, the clip that's up there when puckwudgies attack, um, which is something we shot for, uh, for one of my books, which has gotten a lot of buzz, especially in the past week. Um, but the, the point of a lot of what we were doing there was we don't know what it is. And so actually Ron Kolick from New England Ghost uh, Hunters or New England Ghost Project, or Project, thank you. Sorry, Ron. Um, when he was out there, his full intention was that it was something physical. He was like, we're on a puck wedgie hunt. We're going to get a puck wedgie. We're going to trap him. He, uh, he wanted to bring bread, too. He wanted to bring strawberry bread. And, uh, and so I really think that, that yeah, it, I think it's because it's undefinable, because it, it's kind of, leaks into all these different things, you're going to find different kind of people starting to associate all kinds of experiences with it. And Matt Moniz and I have talked about a few people who have um, approached me and thought they had alien abductions and in hearing descriptions and things like that now think it's published. So it is already starting to leak into those other territories. And arguments. Cryptozoologists uh, have really kind of contacted me and put their um, their flag kind of in the, in the ground saying, oh, this is a this is a creature, and therefore it's more our territory. So why are you calling it paranormal? <laughs> well, if you've uh, if you've read the accounts of what the puckwudgies were supposedly able to do to the Wampanoags back in, you know, the uh, the older times, and it, it, there's definitely a paranormal aspect to them. These these things had a strength to them that, you know, most weird little creatures that might exist in the forest could never achieve. And not to mention the fact that, and this is another one of those markers that really tells me whether someone potentially has a puck wedgie problem, is there's that whole, you know, puck wedgie triangle that of the of the Taipei Wonkas and there's also the, the Shadow Men. Uh, the, the question here uh, in, in the chat room is whether or not we think that they're physical beings or whether they're spiritual beings. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, Chris? I mean, have you seen enough or heard enough stories of them that you can decide if they're, if they're physical? Here's what I say. They can manipulate their form. Um, they can interact with their environment, um, and therefore they're physical. What we understand as physical is probably limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always spoken of them much more as like an elemental, 
type situation where they put elemental with a form in terms of that, you know, they seem to possess things that things with that we normally think of as being real and tangible um, don't have. And yet, you know, there's reports of this, you know, uh, once again, Ron actually has a, uh, has a story of someone fighting one uh, and wrestling with them um, and, you know, defeating them enough to kind of get away. That, to me, seems, that screams physical. So. See, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's actually a documentary film out there about Pukwudgies, uh, where they actually do, they, the, the Pukwudgies descend upon a town, and these filmmakers did a great job of following the, the battle of two space aliens that try to actually kill all the Pukwudgies. It's called Critters. Did you ever see that? That's... I, I, I didn't, and there's some, uh, I'm much more of a fan of Critters too, but, you know, whatever, whatever floats you, but... Did I see that on the Smithsonian Channel? Was that what that was on? <laughs> I, it was actually on Comcast. So. <laughs> Comcast on demand, <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, seri- uh, in all seriousness, so uh, the the puckwudgie is similar to so many other creatures uh, of, of legend and lore of, of various different cultures that it's going to be hard for anybody to kind of put their stake in the ground as to what they are, because in some respects you can say they're like a troll, in other respects you can say they're like a leprechaun, in other respects they're like a fairy. You know, they have all these same properties. Hmm? I think think you're off. I don't know why. Gnome. Yep. No, I don't know him, but I'd like to. Uh, <laughs> the but you know what I mean. So as long as they're they're as long as they they cross these cultures like that, uh, you're, it's going to be hard for any one group to define them or to claim them. And I think that part of the issue is you're dealing with people's experiences with something, and then you're going back to stuff that was written 400 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and their perception of it, and trying to create a checklist, which you can't do. So what happens is anything that kind of follows similar traits, you associate it as close as possible. And so, you know, it, there might be absolutely nothing transforming about them. They just misunder Native Americans just misunderstood. And over years, even their, you know, their Wampanoag media twists it and distorts it. So it's it's that's part of the issue as well that you're dealing with experience versus legend. Well. uh the, the, what, what bothers me the most about it is uh, when you talk to Wampanoags now, people who are still active in the Wampanoag Nation, they don't really have it as part of their culture anymore. They don't talk about it. Um, I actually spoke to a chief, and when I mentioned Pukwudgies to him, he was kind of like, what? It just seems like it's kind of fallen by the wayside within their own culture. So the fact that we are bringing it up and that we're talking about it, you know, to them it must seem even stranger. It's like, oh, you're digging up that old thing from our past? You know, that was just a story. Right. But right. we can... And, and... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and the, the fortunate or unfortunate thing is that we're taking, you know, small little chapters of books that were written by people who translated things and now kind of making a bigger deal of them. So we, we actually don't even really know. There's nothing that actually says um, how much the Pukwudgies meant to them, except for the fact that there seemed to be a plague of them, at least, at one time during the culture. And they, they seem to factor into a lot of their, um, mo- mo- you know, tales of morality. Right. And, and you know, when, I, I, when I've used this, the Pukwudgie story in my um, English classes, I use it as uh, allegory. And I basically lined it up against different things that happened. For example, 
you know, there are parts of it, especially like the final battle where Mashup kind of disappears, historically, um, kind of by other things that are in the literature, corresponds with the plague that, uh, that hit the Wampanoag very hard right before the settlers arrived. And so therefore, you know, it became one of those things where anything that bad, anything bad that happened became kind of the work of the Pukwudgie. So unexplained fires or people missing, all of that can actually be taken as, you know, the same way we would say, oh, you know, it's, it's up the bad spirits that did it, or, you know, like, oh, those gosh darn, you know, fairies are messing with my crops again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could easily have been something like that if we didn't still have on record these attacks that are still happening, which are something. They might not be Pukwudgies, but they're something. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens now. And you said you've already kind of experienced it, but I think now the Pukwudgie is going to be the new happening creature. So we're going to start working on the licensing for the T-shirts and the plush dolls and and all that kind of stuff and the action figures. That's what's known. I, I, uh, I, you know, I claimed uh, Pukwudgie guy, you know, at least four years ago. So no one else can call himself the Pukwudgie guy, although Pukwudgie.com is taken. Really? It is. It's oh. a horrible site, but it, it, it is out there. <laughs> well... Uh, while we have you on, uh, let's let's preview next week's show. We got about a minute left here, uh, but next week's going to be a huge show for our, our pre-Halloween program. And and why don't we why don't you share with everybody a little bit about what we're going to have going on? Uh, sure. Um, uh, probably a few months ago, um, we got in contact, and I'm really kind of uneasy talking about this because after uh, after talking in the, in the chat room uh, last week for about a, a half hour about it, I uh, had a really bad week where a lot of bad things happened. Um, and so I'm hoping that this isn't the kind of curse that's been attached to this stuff kind of playing itself out. But we were able to get um, Jackie Barrett on the show. Um, anyone who's kind of followed the psychic side of the world, she came in second a few years ago in the, the world, you know, world's top psychics, and um, she investigated the, um, she investigated the uh, Lizzie Borden house with me a few years ago, held a seance there. And she's done a lot of psychic detective work. She's had been on a few... Uh, Specials on A&E, and through an odd circum- series of circumstances, she was able to um, basically get power of attorney uh, over Ronnie DeFeo, but Ronnie Butch DeFeo from the Amityville Horror Story. And uh, in, in over the past year, she's been working with him. She's been kind of keeping up to date with what's going on. It's not actually the reason why we wanted her on. We wanted her on because she's an amazing psychic who has an amazing story to tell. Um, but it ends up that the night after Halloween night that she's on, she's going to be it's going to be the world premiere of this documentary, which is looking to completely blow the roof off everyone what everyone thinks of the end of the horror. Um, it's what everyone thinks and not what everyone thinks, and so it's it's really this kind of you know kind of serendipitous thing that we actually have her coming on our show uh, the night before. So we're definitely going to get a preview of kind of what's in that documentary as well, some other things that she's got going on. And then hopefully after it airs, we can get her to come back and, and really open up even more with as much as she feels comfortable telling and as much as uh, as Butch DeFeo will allow her to tell. Well, I mean, you know, he gave her everything. Um, you know, there's some things, and if, and she's and she'll tell you more about this, but she's got a book coming out afterwards about it because um, some things you just can't, you know, there was just not enough time to go over a lot of these, a lot mm-hmm. of things. But, I mean, it, it's one of those situations where, the, the documentary is not only about him, but about her kind of going through this. And uh, fortunately, to some degree, I've been kind of in on this with her since the beginning, so it's, it's touched uh, things in my life as well. And, and so it's a very odd uh, series of circumstances, but it's not just about Amityville. It's also about 
this weird curse that also seems to be around it. All right. Well, we are out of time. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spooktacular.